0: Love, talk, radio. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Simon. The show, as always, uh, is called The Stories We Live By, and I have some interesting stories today. First, an apology. I haven't been on the air for a couple of weeks. Uh, once, there was a technical problem, um, and then, last week, I was all set, set to go, and I uh, put on a tennis game waiting for the show time to arrive, and the next thing I know, I woke up and missed my own show. Now, you know you're in serious trouble when you sleep through your own show, um, but being retired that's a prerogative I sort of allow myself. Now, I wanted to do a follow-up show to the thing we talked about with toxic relationships with a lot of people listened to that have downloaded it, and I'm going to try to work some of the material that I would have talked about uh, in, in that show into this one so um, uh, if I can remain coherent, uh, I'm going to really do two shows at once. But something occurred, uh, something came my way that is so important, I thought, that I really have to talk about it. And, and it relates to uh, learning to hate yourself or learning to love yourself and the damage that's being done by the mental health field. Actually, the better word is the mental health industry. Uh, because at this point, it's almost totally backed by big business. Uh, it has terrible political implications, as we'll see when I start to talk about what stimulated my uh, outrage and my high blood pressure uh, on this particular issue. Um, and it, it, just, it just grinds and grinds on, and there seems to be no end to this. And unless there really is change, to quote the uh, political campaign going on now, uh, the damage that's going to be done to children, to our democracy, to society, uh, can really prove to be irreversible. So I got an article, and I heard about this, but I got an article from somebody. Uh, and this is, I'm going to read the first paragraph of the article. Dr. Dimitri Popolos of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. We're now talking heavy hitter here, right? Albert Einstein College of Medicine and his wife Janice are the recognized authorities on early-onset bipolar disorder. That's E-O-B-D. That's how they, oh, it's wonderful. They are the authors of The Bipolar Child, which their website calls the Acknowledged Bible Concerning the Disorder. The book is in its third edition and has sales of more than 200,000 copies. So that these people are heavy hitters, they're well-recognized, and their book is selling. The Papaloses have a devoted following of parents whose children present the symptom picture in question. The Papaloses believe that EOBD is a serious psychiatric illness caused by as yet unknown biological abnormalities and routinely recommend a treatment plan that features powerful psychotropic drugs. Now let me stop for a second before I describe what EOBD is. If it's an illness, and we've been through this before, I talk about this all the time, if it's a true medical illness requiring a medical treatment, then there has to be a medical problem that causes the symptom picture that is called EOBD, all right? But there is as yet no known medical cause. If there is no known medical cause, then there is no proof that this is a real illness, And if a real illness were to appear and to cause the behavioral picture that we're about to describe, then psychiatrists like the papillosis wouldn't be dealing with this. Real doctors would be dealing with this. Endocrinologists would be dealing with this. Um, Neurologists would be dealing with this. Anybody would be dealing with this. But psychiatrists, psychiatrists only deal with problems for which there is no known biological uh, cause. And uh, for those of you who have been following this show, none of the illnesses, none of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of so-called serious mental illnesses that you're bombarded with over the television have ever been shown to have any biological abnormality whatsoever as their cause. So we're not talking now about anything that could be demonstrated to have a medical cause. And therefore, we have to ask what these drugs, these powerful drugs that are being pushed by the pharmaceutical companies are really treating or whether treatment is really the issue. So let me continue. They claim that this disorder is much more prevalent than previously thought. Every time you hear about a new invented illness, it's much more serious than previously thought. For example, they assert that 80% of children with EOBD are found to meet the full criteria for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is to say that most kids are diagnosed with ADHD, have or also have or really have EOBD. Now, we've talked about ADHD, the mythical problem that keeps children sitting in their seats or sitting still for long periods of time, uh, mostly boys, mostly boys. The idea that maybe little boys are not meant biologically through evolution to sit for long periods of time doesn't seem to, to um, matter to much of these, uh, these gurus, these, these experts on all of these disorders that have to, no biological basis whatsoever but certainly don't uh, uh, have any problem being treated with very powerful, powerful drugs. Um, let me read this especially intriguing is the Populosis proposed list of very common symptoms for EOBD. Now the target population here are two-year-olds. We are talking about two-year-olds being diagnosed With EOBD, early early onset bipolar disorder, a serious medical condition to be treated with incredibly powerful cocktails of drugs. And I would ask the interested listener to go back to the show I did on who killed Rebecca Riley, because Rebecca Riley was one of these children who was diagnosed uh, EOBD and died for her third birthday. Of the overdose of these drugs. Now, what are these two year olds manifesting to allow them to be diagnosed? Remember, there's not going to be any medical problem that's going to be diagnosed because nobody has ever dreamed there was a medical problem. That is responsible for the following separation anxiety. That is, when mommy and daddy walk out of the house and leave the kid with a new sitter. Right, and the kid gets upset. The kid has separation anxiety. Uh, how many two-year-olds do you know readily go to strangers, particularly if mommy and daddy are not around? All right, uh, tantrums. Uh, I've had three children, and I have six grandchildren. All have very serious early-onset bipolar disorder. When they were two, uh, my my oldest grandchild used to say to his mother, "Can I throw a temper He put the two words together, temper tantrum. Uh, His younger sister was one of the great temper tantrum throwers of all time. I mean, when she started screaming, (laughs) glass would break all over the house. Hyperactivity. Uh, Tantrums, I'm sorry, especially in response to the word no. And I'm going to spend a long time talking about this uh, because there's nothing comical about this. Children who are two who don't say no are really children who are already showing a developmental problem, a developmental issue. And I'm going to explain why in a few minutes. Uh, Very important for children to say no at various points in their life, when they're two, when they go into adolescence. How do you develop your own personality if you're always saying yes to authority? There's a conflict that very often results. But is that conflict a disease? And should we be treating the temper tantrums to the word no? Right. Um, mood swings, inattentiveness, distractibility. Let me tell you a little story about a lucky child I saw in, in, the, uh, uh, in the mall just last week. Um, he was about two, and whenever he, he struggled to get out of his father's arms, his father and mother apparently had taken him shopping, and he was lucky because they saw what was going on with a great deal of, of pleasure. They were having a good time uh, with with uh, what was going on. And every time they put him down, he took off. And like the typical two-year-old, he took off away from his parents. If he looked over his shoulder, he giggled and laughed because this is a fun game for two-year-olds to run away from the authority. Now, had they got, let him get away, had he he would have suddenly discovered mommy and daddy were not there. He would have panicked, and he would have cried very, very hard for mommy and daddy. So he was separating. He was in a controlled separation from his parents. The father would let him go and laugh and then run after him and pick him up. And when he picked him up and said, no, not that way, the kid cried. So the father threw him in the air and distracted him. If you work with humor, if you work with appropriate discipline with a two-year-old, they're really not very hard to distract. Two-year-olds are supposed to be distracted. They're supposed to be inattentive. They're supposed to be paying attention to everything in the world around them. It's old duffers and, and people who get older who pay attention for long periods of time. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Basically, when you have to go to work, that you have to pay attention. And later in school, you have to pay attention. Um, fortunately, at my age, I don't have to pay attention anymore, although I certainly have to pay attention to this broadcast, or else it will get out of control. So what these parents were doing with humor was allowing this kid to run. They were using the distractability, And it was clear that they loved this little boy. They were having a good time playing with him. And there were risks. At one point, he ran for the stairs. Uh, I, my son ran. He was two. He just never stopped running. He climbed and he ran. Uh, we, once, we were at a pool club, and we once strapped him in with a stroller. And he took off to the deep end of the pool, pulling the stroller behind him. And I got there just in time, and I have no doubt he would have gone right into the water. Uh, but back then, and apparently these parents haven't had the good news, that their distractible temper tantrum throwing two-year-old when he has said no to his own will uh, uh, has a disease. We didn't know about these wonderful diseases and given drugs that have terrible side effects such as diarrhea, drowsiness, significant weight gain. This is out of control, boys and girls. This is completely out of control. In their book in the May 2000 issue of their, and their, in the, uh, issue of their newsletter, available through their website, which I'll give to you, by the way, www.bipolarchild.com. The papillosis recommend against using the word no with a bipolar child, because, quote, it'll trigger a meltdown. When they were toddlers, the, the author of this article writes, my children often suffered wild seizures at the sound no. And interestingly, however, these seizures were eventually cured with regular doses of that very word in common with consequences that the papillosis would probably consider draconian, right? Uh, the papillosis also recommend that if your child hits you because they're bipolar, they should be forgiven and you shouldn't deal with it because this is merely the symptom of an illness and a disease. What is the effect on these children? I'm not even going to talk about I'm not even going to talk about the effect of these drugs which are so powerful and immobilize these children. What what, what is the effect? What is being treated here? I think what's being treated and it goes along with the uh, political climate of our country, which is a deeply conservative climate that says that rebellion is not a good thing. One of my more interesting shows, if you want to go to it, is what happened to dissent. Um, I think that people are afraid of dissent because if you stand alone and you're not part of the mob, you don't get along well with others. And even wanting to play alone for periods of time, I think many parents now see as suspect. So we live in this this. this homogenizing environment in which children who rebel are seen as seriously problematic. Possibly uh, they're going to uh, want to uh, uh, take a gun to school and shoot other children and all of these serious symptoms have to be headed off with these powerful powerful kinds of drugs. What is the, the, the life cycle rebellion and and, uh, 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 cooperation when do we have dissent and when do we cooperate of course when we see it in our interest to do so and as I've said many times on this show and whoever listens I think that the psychologically the person who can live with themselves in their own skin really has to tread a line and they have to tread a line between being able to stand on their own two feet and create and speak and sing their own song, different from everybody else, because, in fact, they are different from everybody else. No two of us are the same. And yet, if we veer off only on our own, if we don't have love, if we don't have attachments, don't have friends, if we don't have family, if we're not part of something larger, then we, we are lost, we're alone, we're lonely. Um, prisons are filled with people who can't get along with others. Uh, Mental hospitals, well, actually they're prisons. They're not really hospitals at all uh, because none of the people in these hospitals have ever been demonstrated to be actually sick. They're psychiatrically sick, which means that they're behaving in ways that they're not supposed to behave. They have gone off on their own. They're living in their own world for whatever the reason. Um, And and if the reason is ever shown to be a biological problem, then we'll call real doctors, neurologists, endocrinologists, real doctors to deal with this problem. Uh, The psychiatrists will uh, have to give up this individual for a medical ward or a real uh, hospital where they don't have bars on the windows and locks on the doors. Only prisons have those uh, uh, accoutrements. So. We have to find a way and while I was watching this happy couple with their little boy they were helping this little they were picking him up they were hugging him they were kissing him they were laughing they were playing and he was playing back and then when he wanted to go they would let him go but they wouldn't let him go beyond a certain point that they believed in their good judgment was going to be either dangerous for them or dangerous for the child or for both and if you look at this process of moving away from our loved ones as we grow older, as as we rebel, as we fight, as we say no. And the word no really has a flip side. We say no to authority so we can say yes to ourselves. We can't say yes to ourselves unless we say no to authority. And if children are raised in a kind of a loving atmosphere with appropriate discipline, which either doesn't throw them out of the door when they say uh, no, or doesn't crush their spirit as the papalosis would have us do. I mean, the, the Orwellian notion of the papalosis is to crush these children, not with draconian discipline, not with hitting, but by numbing and damaging their brains and their bodies so that they really can't rebel. And I'll hold on for a moment to the psychological consequences that go into the show I talked about, uh, the toxic relationships, because certainly I feel that the parents I was looking at in the mall, uh, there was nothing toxic there at all. The parents, uh, uh, the, the, the populosis and their breed, it's all toxic. It's all hateful and damaging. Uh, and it, according to the article I read by a John Rosemond, I'm not even sure where it came from because it came to me over the Internet, Uh, He laughs at this, but he laughs because I don't think he knows the full seriousness of the problem that we're confronting. Um, Which is that uh, any kind of unwanted behavior is now declared to be a serious mental illness. And if necessary, coercion used to bring the serious mental illness and its symptoms under control of the psychiatrist or authority figures uh, that use the psychiatrist. And by the way, again, the psychologists in my field who have bought into this hook, line, and sinker because this is how they earn their living. By the way, if anybody would like to call in, you can call in at, where's the number? Now, if you're looking at it, let's see, I'm going to shut this off. at 646-716-7756. 646 Load the chat again. You could write, uh, if you're looking at stories, blogtalkradio.com, stories we live by. Can, uh, uh, you can type me a message, and I could uh, read it over the air, and I could uh, send you uh, or I'll provide an answer for you. Okay. So this process of moving away and coming back, moving away and coming back, Negotiates. It's it's every parent knows that their relationship with the child is an ongoing negotiation. Instead of running down the hall of the mall, a few years later this child's going to say, "I want to sleep over at my friend's house," and another negotiation. Uh, I want to go with my friends to the park. I don't want any parents there. Another negotiation. And again, I think we live in a world in which we're so terrified of each other. We've learned so mistrust each other that we're terrified to let our children out of our sight. Uh, I'll give you another story. This goes back a number of years. My wife and I were at a fair, and one child apparently had gotten lost for a few minutes, and the father grabbed the kid and said, look around you. Any one of these people could be a kidnapper and take you and will never see you again. Now, it is possible that any one of these people uh, could have been a kidnapper. But the fact of the matter is, I don't think it's very likely. But that child was being told anyone, and therefore every one of these people, is a danger to you, and therefore can't leave the parents' side. Have to be afraid of the world, because the world is such a dangerous place that you could be taken from your parents and have terrible things done to you. Uh, and so you have to play it safe. The adventure is over, and you're still a very young child. The rebellion is over. Don't stand on your own. You always need some kind of external crutch or external help. Not minimizing the danger to children if they're alone in the park. It could be, but I don't know how many people are out there really wanting to menace children. It's interesting that when I was growing up, I lived in the Bronx near Bronx Zoo, And on Sundays, uh, we didn't have a backyard. We lived in an apartment. And uh, it's interesting. People didn't know that they weren't middle class when I was growing up. Today, they'd be called working class. But they were basically middle class because they had uh, medical care at a reasonable cost. They had good schools to send their children to. And nice parks where they felt safe. Uh, I don't know if I was safe when I used to wander the parks on Sunday. Every Sunday, we used to meet our relatives And my cousins and I, or friends and I, would wander the park, the entire Bronx Zoo, climbing rocks and doing all kinds of stuff. And we made it. None of us, none of us were put in any great danger. And I consider that time of of exploration something very, very important, my psychological development. Uh, Well, maybe I disagree with that, but that's okay. So... Children want to go to camp. Eventually, they may want to go away to college. Sometimes when children go away to college, I worked in a college where we had 1,500 kids a year who went away to college and messed it up. Too much sex, too many drugs, too much rock and roll. Uh, They didn't study. They flunked. They would come back. And after six months or a year, they would try again. And most of them on the second try worked it out. They learned to manage their lives. They learned not to hurt themselves. They learned to grow up. They needed the support when they came home. They needed understanding. They needed nurturance. They needed family. They needed the community, the local community. And then they were ready to try again. And in my value system, I applaud that. I like that. I want to see people who can travel and be alone. And I want to see the same people in loving, caring, close relationships because it's that balance in life that in my value system and in my experience makes life worth livable. What's going to happen to these kids psychologically? All of these children, because apparently there are growing numbers of them who were first called ADHD, right, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and now it's being upped, the ante ante is being upped. Powerful, powerful combinations of drugs, uh, uh, anti-seizure drugs to keep them stable, antidepressant drugs like Prozac, uh, which uh, uh, are given off-label. At the same time, calming drugs like clonidine, a very, very powerful blood pressure medicine that uh, most doctors won't prescribe for a patient unless nothing else works, Not especially for an adult, it won't. Uh, because it has such a powerful sedative effect. And these are cocktails of drugs being given to two-year-old children. And I say to the parents, you've been bamboozled, but I also think you should be ashamed of yourself. And I think it's already now two generations in that people have been taught to fear their own decision-making, to know how to deal with a child and stand up to those children. Uh, and, and not be afraid that when a child does melt down and kick and scream because they're crying, because their no was met with a no, that that they were overridden, they were picked up and brought back in the house, or they were told they have to go to bed or do their homework uh, or, or anything else that is part of the disciplinary process of parenting uh, that these children... Um, uh, already have grown up and are afraid and now depend upon experts. Uh, Lord help us with these experts who would turn childhood itself into a, a disease. By the way, one of the, uh, uh, the the last paragraph in this article, and I really wish I still had this, about 30 years ago, an article appeared that everybody read and it was absolutely hysterical. It was called The Diagnosis... Uh, and Treatment of Childhood, and which the author, supposedly a guy named Jordan W. Smaller of the University of Pennsylvania, who wrote this tongue-in-cheek, uh, proposed that childhood is a disorder with a congenital onset, and the symptoms included knowledge deficits, dwarfism, emotional lability, and legume anorexia, uh, to which... <laughs> <laughs> don't like vegetables. Legume anorexia. And back then, we were hysterical reading this article. And I recently was sent a copy of it on the Internet from one of my colleagues and friends. And I read it, and I don't find it funny anymore. I don't find it funny. How do you avoid toxic relationships? Well, you have to avoid the populosis. You have to avoid all of these people. I don't know how you avoid them But you have to be able to stand up and say, logically, Doctor, if you tell me my child or I have an illness, a real illness, whether you want to call it a mental illness or or a physical illness, you have to show me the tests. You have to show me how these tests measured the abnormality. You have to show me what the abnormality is in terms of its normalcy. Why is it abnormal? What is the normal rate? I remember the first time I had my cholesterol tested, I was told 250, and that was normal. It was normal because 250 was the average cholesterol. A few years later, I was told 250 was going to produce a heart attack, and I was going to lay down and die, and of course, I got frightened along with everybody else, and I took my cholesterol drugs, and what's fascinating is that over the last few years, rumors have been percolating. That uh, the the statin drugs were again another ploy of the drug companies uh, to form have a blockbuster drug that people would take, millions and millions of people would take for their entire lives. And just last week, the science in in the section of the New York Times, the back of the of the Weekend Review, was a long article suggesting that cholesterol, in and of itself, does not have any relationship to heart disease and saturated fats in your diet have no relationship either to cholesterol or to heart disease. So, uh, by the way, I'll continue to take the statin because apparently they have an anti-inflammatory uh, uh, process um, that it itself may be the reason why it does lead to a reduction in heart disease. <laughs> but uh, eat your cheese, boys and girls, and have your steak. Uh, it, it's about over. This particular scare that told people uh, that eggs were going to put them in an early grave is about, it's about done. Uh, I just a quick side story. Uh, when I went to my doctor about 10 years ago, it was a doctor I saw before the last one, and I, I said to him, uh, you know, I read that eggs are really a perfect food and they're not going to affect my health. He said, well, I think so too. You can have two eggs a week. I said, why two? Why not four? He said, okay, have four eggs a week. I said, why not six or eight? He says, you can have as many eggs as you want. I don't think it makes a difference, but I'm not supposed to say that because standard medical knowledge says that eggs are bad for you. Well, uh, the experts are out there, and as long as they're selling stuff, you have to, be, have to be careful. And so when someone says to you, you have a mental illness, you have to say, no, this is a label. You have to fight against the label. Because you have to fight for yourself and you have to fight for your children. Because these two-year-olds are being told, in fact, that they're sick. But they're not sick. The real message here is your defiance, your temper tantrums, your distractibility, which may be driving your parents crazy, is just behavior. It's unwanted behavior. And if you really believe what the doctor is telling you, then the hidden message is not that you're sick, that you're morally deficient. And you have to remain on guard against your moral deficiency and never understand your motivation, never understand the reasons why you behave as you behave, because there's nothing to understand. All these behaviors are merely the symptoms of the sickness. And so you will now live with shame. You will now live with a sense of hopelessness. You will now live fearing that if you strike out on your own, you won't be able to do it. Is it a struggle to learn something new? Yes. Most things are a struggle, particularly if they're worthwhile. Anybody watched the Super Bowl last night? Boy, were these guys taking a beating on that field. But it was important to them, whether you like sports or not. <laughs> And I'm not particularly a a big uh, football fan. I was in awe of the effort that these people put in, both as individuals and as a team. Nothing comes easy if it really is worthwhile. I don't know why that's so. I didn't make the rules by which people live. But nothing does come easy. Development, growing up, becoming mature is a process that is involved with struggle. And now we're being told. Over and over, that normal behavior that bothers yourself or someone else is not motivated. It has no meaning. It's not involved with context. It is not a part of the developmental process. It's a sickness, a moral deficit. And you will be sick and morally deficient and intellectually deficient all of your life. And this is the reason why you have toxic relationships with yourself. It's because it starts out with toxic relationships with others. Where instead of the parent saying to the child, why did you do that? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? You're told you were a brat. You're no good. You shouldn't have been born. You're the devil. And those words, painful and ugly as they are, have now been turned in to a whole medical vocabulary. You're not the devil. You're not a bad two-year-old who's driving mommy and daddy crazy, have early onset bipolar disorder, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, and you have to be treated all of your life with powerful, powerful constraints. Handcuffs in a bottle. One of my young uh, uh, people that I worked with some years ago put it. Those handcuffs go on. They're invisible to anybody else, but you know they're on. So, anybody have anything to add? I don't know if people are listening. I haven't been here for three weeks, and um, I'm not sure that I have uh, listeners I was having. I think that uh, was a mistake to be off. I'm sorry I fell asleep last week. That's the way it is. Hold on a second Okay, well, I left an show. I don't think I need the hour. Um, I've said what I wanted to say. uh I vented my spleen. Um, what else can I say? Uh You must resist these labels. Uh, My field has become, I think, a a political hazard, a minefield. Uh, At this point, I can't even recommend anybody go into the field. At least when I was a psychology student, we were given alternative views of things. Um, I grew up at a time when it was believed that our role was to make the world a better place, that there should be less injustice, there should be more fairness, more love. Now, the world apparently, according to the Populosis and their ilk, is a perfect place. Uh, if you don't fit in, uh, it's your problem, you're ill, you're sick, uh, you're deviant, and uh, you shouldn't be um, allowed to continue with this di- disobedience, this, uh, this dissident behavior, this difficult behavior. You should be drugged into submission. And drugged into submission you will be, uh, except for the fact that you will now watch your own behavior, you will become your own worst critic, you will be terrified to live your life without experts giving you advice, uh, experts who you have to pay or who are paid large sums of money for their advice. When your mother and father loved you, you got all kinds of advice and it came for free. Uh, In fact, if it doesn't come free, I'm not sure what it's really worth. In any event, um, I think that uh, I'm going to uh, call it over. I think we've done a good day's work. Uh, Whoever is there, I thank you for listening. Whoever will listen, I thank you for listening. And uh, take care. And uh, I hope next week I'll be back on the air. Goodbye.